Welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast number 184 and coming to you after a big Wallaby victory on Saturday night, 27-19 over the All Blacks in Sydney and doesn't it feel good? And of course I'm joined with a absolute star-studded lineup. Uh, but before I do I'll introduce myself obviously, Hugh Cavill coming to you today, taking over from Rugby Reg for just this week anyway while Reg just takes some time to rest and recuperate continuing our rotation policy before we hit the World Cup. Uh, but first up tonight, um, the uh, godfather of the site, Matt Rowley. How are you, Matt? I'm very well, mate. I'm better than Reg because we should probably fill in that the reason why Reg can't do this is because his kids deleted his recording of the match before he got to see it uh, on Sunday morning. And so he's had to wait for a replay um, before he could watch it, before he could actually see it. So um, I think there might have been some kids who got some stern talking to in Brisbane on, on Sunday somehow. But, um, um, yes, I think they're all still in therapy, actually, at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm, very, I'm very well, mate. I'm, I'm barely come down. Uh, what a fantastic uh, Saturday night. Yeah, wasn't it just? But we'll get to that shortly. I'll introduce our other guest tonight, all the way from America, Jamie Miller. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Feeling very good. Life looks so much better this week than it did last week. I don't know why. <laughs> It <laughs> doesn't adjust. I mean, just your Monday morning at work quicker and, you know, it's just been so much fun, you know, scouring all the different rugby sites across the world, especially from New Zealand. It's just a it's just a, a really wonderful feeling and I've forgotten a little bit of, of how good it how good it feels, Matt. Oh yeah, no, I haven't fully indulged in the in the suffer fest that's um going on across the ditch at the moment. But uh, I might I, I did come across one article um, actually today, uh, I can't remember how I stumbled across it, but it was Simon Jones, uh, the, uh, all black and, um, Ian, Ian Jones, Ian, Ian Jones, Jones. the all black, I was getting confused with the rugby writer, the Ian Jones, the all black who was contending that he thought that the all blacks were just foxing. Um, and that actually they threw the match, uh, cause you know, he was quite serious in saying, uh, that the all blacks, you know, kind of wanted to give us some false hope there. Um, and then I, he almost made himself believe it, I think in this article, uh, <laughs> but I haven't had time to go through the rest. There must be some brilliant ones out there. Yeah. Well, it, it's certainly, um, it's pretty interesting. And I suppose, you know, we can't, we've got to say at the start, we can't get too overconfident. We, you know, every, as soon as we start to smile, it seems like all of our commenters jump on us and say, well, you know, we've, we've been here before and talked it up and, 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 uh, the next week come out and been uh, pretty soundly beaten. So it might still happen, but we've got to permit ourselves, Jamie, you know, a, a couple of hours, days just to smile and, in, in, and bask in the, the glow of victory that, that we don't seem to uh, feel so often. Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of my New Zealand friends have been very nervous the last couple of days. And should we manage to do the impossible and win at Eden Park, I reckon we're just going to push New Zealand rugby into a into a bottomless pit of remorseless introspection. <laughs> they are just going to lose their shit. And I'm very happy about that. Um, the English rugby fans will follow them. They're definitely nervous by what they've seen at the scrum, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, it's it's all good. It's all coming up Millhouse. Yeah. Well, 
Well, can we talk about that for a second? Is it just me? I think a few people have mentioned this, and I've seen it commented on by some Kiwis, sort of saying this doesn't feel like the normal, you know, uh, Wallabies managing to, you know, fluke their way through a win and that they're clearly going to be a bounce back. I mean, I, I've no doubt that the All Blacks will come back hard this week and it's not going to be an easy win and I wouldn't favour ourselves. But um, it just seems to be a little bit quieter from there. I don't know. Like you said, Jamie, are they a little bit more nervous than usual? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's because of the manner of the victory. I mean, it was, it was, it, it wasn't an arsy victory. It wasn't a victory um, highlighted by, you know, New Zealand running out of a second string lineup or anything like that. It was, it was fair and square. It was eight points. It wasn't even within a converted try. Um, and we totally dominated, dominated in a couple of different facets of the game that New Zealand really pride themselves on. I mean, I think it's the manner of the victory, not just the victory itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, continuing on that, I actually had my observation was it, it kind of worked in the reverse to how these games normally go in that it was like the teams were wearing different jerseys. Normally, the Wallabies will be pretty good in the first half and might squander some opportunities uh, and probably not go in to the sheds with, with the lead that they deserve. And then we might poke our nose in front with 20 to go, but we're then over overrun by a couple of late tries and, and we can't make it happen in the end. Um, and yet, that yeah. was exactly the opposite of, of of what happened. You know, we were the we were the ones doing the overrunning, and we were the ones putting the game away in the last ten minutes. Yeah, couldn't agree more. A couple of times during that match, I had the exact same feeling, especially that first twenty minutes where we just seemed to drop the ball repeatedly. We couldn't calm down and settle into any phases. And then I kept looking at the scoreboard, and it was still only three nil against us. Uh, I really did feel uh, that the two teams were taking a leaf out of each other's book. Yeah, well, well, let's get to the game and I suppose we'll break it down in a little bit more detail. Um, as I said at the top of the show, 27-19 to the Wallabies. Um, tries to Kepu, White and, um, oh God, who was Ashley Cooper was the third one. Um, and for the All Blacks, Milner Scudder getting across the line twice. Um, Matt, I'll start with you. And I think we'll start with a general question. Um, what was the most pleasing aspect uh, of that victory for you? Yeah, I mean, I wrote an article about it uh, last night. And I published it today. It was for me. I mean, I, I allowed myself to kind of daydream last week for a moment and sort of said, "Look, if we win this, there's going to be something I'm going to be looking for. And what am I going to be looking for is how do the Wallabies react?" Um, and what was really, really interesting, it was very marked, was the Wallabies didn't kind of. You remember that Hong Kong victory we had? Um, you know, which was a you know a kick on the bell, that sort of arsy victory. Um, in, in, in a dead rubber. And, um, you know, this time around, even though it was, you know, like we were just talking about, far more sort of dominant um, performance, uh, the, half the Wallabies didn't do much at all. Half of them kind of stuck an arm in the air, and that was about it. Um, shook, shook hands, and that was the kind of the end of the celebration, really. And for me, that really denoted, uh, and it seemed to be it was uniform across the whole team. Um, and, and for me, it denoted that they realized that this was maybe not even a job that wasn't even halfway done, um, that they've got a long way to go even before they have a sniff of the Bledisloe Cup and that, you know, there's still obviously a, a long, long way to go for the World Cup. And for me, that was really, really important because um, it was on one of uh, Reg's uh, interviews. I think it was probably with um, Daniel Herbert. He was talking about the 99 World Cup and how when they saw the French go absolutely ape after the French had that fantastic victory over the All Blacks in the semi-final, that the Wallabies felt that they knew that the French had had their final and that there was no way that they were going to be able to back up um, having climbed their Everest already. And So that, you know, seeing that the Wallabies didn't react like that 
and we're obviously just really, really, you know, um, intent on focused and, you know, going on and finishing this job. That for me was was really, really pleasing, and I think must indicate something far deeper about what the attitude of this Wallabies team is. Jamie. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to pick out any one thing. I mean, the scrum set a fantastic tone for the rest of the game. Um, the Wallabies really controlled the breakdown. I thought their physicality was just amazing. There's one ruck in particular uh, in the first half where Pocock hits a counter ruck, essentially, and it's just him, but five All Blacks have to join the ruck to take him out. And then he rolls away and gets back in the line. But that means there's only 10 All Blacks who aren't in the line. And that happened time and time again. Um, but probably the thing that, that I think we really couldn't do without was the composure and the, the team's faith in the systems and in each other and their patience. Um, so it was, it was really the mental aspect in the last 20, 30 minutes, their ability to just let the attack build. They, you know, we've become you know, kind of like a drug addict, we become just addicted to this concept of X factor that every try has to be ridiculously special. Um, and the Kepu and White tries are special in their own way, but it was really just sustained pressure and doing the simple things right that allowed us to be in the position to take advantage of when the All Blacks messed up in defence. And it was good to see us being pragmatic. It was good to see us doing the unspectacular um, still worth five points, just the same as any other try. And and we really backed ourselves in that last 30 minutes to just hold the ball, didn't matter if we weren't going anywhere, just keep going and wait to see the, the openings appear. That was very good. That was very reassuring for us. I mean, yeah. pick, can I pick up on that? I mean, I thought that, yeah, some of the ruck work was just sensational. I don't, phenomenal. I don't, I don't think I've seen a, a Wallaby team you know, as accurate as that in, in the ruck. And it, and, it, and it didn't have to be a forward. I mean, um, uh, Kuradrani had some big numbers in um, in rucks. And it was actually Matt Giddo as well was flying uh, in, into rucks there. And, and all of them doing a really great job. Uh, I thought that's where I thought Dean Mum and uh, – well, Dean Mum really stood out to me, but I think James Hall had a great game as well. But Dean Mum in that sort of the, those, those ruck situations. And I think – uh, Checker had said actually on uh, the Rugby HQ on Thursday when someone asked what did, what did they expect, what did Checker expect out of those two locks? And he said, you know, I want to, I just basically want to see them over the ball. I don't want to see them on the ground and I want to see them up and at the next ruck. And that's what those both, both those two guys did. And it was just so vital. Well, I think you, it, you literally just took the words out of my mouth, Matt, because I was going to say the thing that pleased me most was our work at the ruck on from what Jamie said, just doing those basics. And, and from watching the game a couple of times, I haven't, seen the stats to confirm this, but I'm almost positive. We never lost the ball at the ruck. We never got pilfered. We never conceded the penalty for holding on. We never, uh, the All Blacks never counter-rucked over the top of us. And I, I don't think I could tell you the last Wallabies test where we didn't, you know, lose the ball at the ruck once in, a, in an 80-minute game where we had, you know, you'd say the bulk of possession as well. It's remarkable. Yeah, I, I think that's right here. I think we didn't lose the ball at the, at the ruck once. Um, but I think even even our dominance really told at the end when Wayne Barnes, who had a fantastic game, pulled Will Skelton up for that completely bizarre penalty in the 79th minute where he said, Will, um, at this stage in the game, you don't need quick ball and you've cleaned out a guy who's rolling away anyway. Well, you know, tough titties. Will gets to clean out whoever the hell he wants to clean out. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I thought... It, Barnes couldn't actually isolate an offence. He just kind of felt that it was somehow unfair. And I think that actually reflected 
the relentless ruck domination that the Wallabies forwards had, they would just clean out machines on the weekend. Yeah. I mean, I thought they um, – there's a piece of video analysis I'd, I'd love to get to. I don't know if I will because it, it's one of the, it's quite a painstaking one. But when, when, you, when you watch the game, um, it's, you know, the, the Wallaby – I want to say it's the whole pack. It's not just – it wasn't just the back row, although the back row did a, a, a great job in it. Just really dominated the, the Kiwi back row. I mean, and, and that's a class back row, right? You've got McCaw, uh, you've got Reed. Kano, I don't know. I, I've never quite put him up at the same level, but he's still not a bad player. Um, and they were just nowhere, absolutely nowhere. They, as you said, Hugh, they couldn't disrupt, um, but then they just couldn't even impose. And there's time after time, there's a couple of things. One was any opportunity they had to smash somebody who was lurking on the wrong side, they did. Um, and there was a couple of there's a there's a couple of cracking instances where Reed found himself flying over the ruck um, backwards. Uh, you know, having been smashed in the back. But then the other bit, and this was something I noticed, when the Reds, I was at the Reds game when they beat um, uh, the Crusaders in that uh, 2011 Super Final. And it was quite clear um, that uh, the Reds flanker, Bo Robinson, was tasked with one thing only, was to stick on uh, McCaw like shit on a blanket and just make his life a misery throughout that game. Hold him at every ruck. You know, you know, rough him whenever you got the chance. Trip him up, whatever you have to do. Um, you're probably not going to beat him in speed to break down. So just make sure he doesn't get to the next one. Which and Bo did an absolute trick on him. And it looked to me that the Wallabies did the same thing. Maybe not in the, quite the same manner, but for example, when McCaw blows up and has that run in with Barnes and Moore, what he's reacting to is Hardy. Fardy was holding him back from the last ruck, and so McCaw ends up lashing out, um, which which makes me laugh because I remember back to the Hooper. Uh, debacle of a couple of weeks ago and the number of Kiwis were saying, you know, Richard McCaw would never do such a thing. But, um, you know, he, so he lashes out at, at, um, at Fardy and then comes jogging back and he was basically just rattled. You know, he couldn't get himself into the game um, and he was being held out of it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I thought that was one of the, the key pieces as well was just the non-existent Kiwi back row. Yeah, good point. Well, let's move on uh, to our probably next topic of discussion. And, and um, what do you think was – I suppose a, a bit flowing on from that. What, 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 Matt? Did you think was was the key moment of the game? Give me one moment uh, that uh, made you smile, made you think the game turned. Well, it had to, for me. It had to be that Michael Hooper tackle on Julian Surveyor. I mean, it was just so it was coming, wasn't it? It was that All Blacks try just before halftime, which just completely deflates. You know, takes away all the hard work of managing to keep the scoreline so close. Um, and then, you know, there's Surveyor about to jot, jot over in the corner. He thought he was in. I mean, how many, you know, he scores that try nine times out of ten. And you saw Michael Hooper sort of adjust his pace and then just exit it. Um, and it was just fantastic. And you could see Surveyor was like, uh, not really sure what to do now apart from do a Hail Mary. Um, and it's the end of the half. And the All Blacks are like, that's not to script. Uh, and that was it. I thought that's when the when the Wallabies, again, didn't kind of go crazy like, oh, that's amazing. They just kind of jogged off and said, great, we're still in this. So for me, that was the turning point because otherwise I thought I thought we were back to kind of all black, you know, plan A. Yeah, I, I was amazed at that, that, that Hooper could, that such a small bloke could, could have that impact. Um, you know, a one-on-one situation, you'd back Sevilla, regardless of who it was, could be Will Skelton, could be anyone, you'd back him to get over... Nine times, ten times out of ten. But I'd also, I'd also give a quick shout out to the referee there. Um, I know he went upstairs to have a look at whether it's a shoulder charge. 
Um, you know, it's no secret that over the last 12 months, the referees have become ridiculous sticklers for the technicalities of illegal tackles. And in no one's book was that a shoulder charge. And if they had ruled it was a shoulder charge, it would have been a yellow card and a penalty try, which would have completely ruined the match. So um, good work from the TMO and from Barnes to basically look at that and say, I don't even know what we're looking at. Let's go to, to half time and, you know, keep this game a good game. Yeah. Well, well, Jamie, what was, what was your key moment? Uh, give you just one. It, it had to be when Tamua came on. I thought, you know, Nick White's picked up the lion's share of the plaudits, but I thought when Tamua came on, he just had a completely transformative effect on the shape of our attack. And the confidence of the players in it. Uh, there was a great moment. I think it was almost his second touch where he was on the left of the ruck. He got the ball flat and at pace, which is how he likes it. And he looked outside him and there was no one there. Everyone was way too deep. So he just showed the ball and took the contact. Nothing special, made the advantage line. But the effect of it was that he was putting up a big flag and saying, look, follow me. He was saying, this is how we're going to do things now. We're going to be attacking outside of 10, not just inside of 10. And we're going to be doing it flat, purposeful, and we're going to be running the forwards on unders lines and, and taking it to the All Blacks up the middle. And that's exactly what happened for the last 30 minutes of the game. And I think his vision and his leadership and his ability to take the line on was a huge reason why that was. I, I just thought he was special. It was special. Agreed. Well, I mean, my, my one just, I suppose we, I agree with those two as well. I actually think Nick White's penalty goal was also a big moment in the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, being able to yeah. slot one from 50 like that in, in what really wasn't a scoring situation. Uh, the penalty was, uh, I think, uh, from memory, a pretty nondescript um, one at the ruck. And, and, you know, normally we'd kick that to about the 22 and start our attack. But I, I think it also gave Nick White himself a bit of a boost um, to, to knock one over like that and, and probably helped with in his last 10 minutes, which were pretty exceptional. Um, let, let's move on again. Um, I suppose let's go key player. Give me one player, and Jamie, we'll start with you, and you've said Tamua, so we've got to move on. Give, give me someone other than Tamua who, who you think uh, had, a, had a notable game uh, from the Wallabies. Can I play to the crowd and just say the pooper? Um, <laughs> I mean, we actually over here uh, went to pick up two cats from the shelter yesterday, and... One of them's short and stocky, and the other one's sort of a smaller, more manic Action Jackson type of cat. And they're both a bit ginger, and I am lobbying my wife hard to get them called Pocock and Hooper um, <laughs> because they they were just magic. I'm, they just made me so happy so often while I was watching the game. Just Pocock, there is no one better over the ball in world rugby. There just isn't. And Hooper offers stuff that no one else can offer either, and anyone – who may have thought that the combination didn't quite work, has been proved spectacularly wrong. It was just a thing of beauty. They were everywhere. They were involved in everything that we did. They were just brilliant. Yeah. On that, I, I, the one thing I'd say on that is, is I think if you never knew the history of both players and you watched that game, um, I think you'd, assume, you'd I don't think you'd bat an eyelid because Pocock played a great number eight game in terms of his ball carrying. He, he, he really lumbered forward. He carried blokes over the advantage line. He hit hard. I mean, uh, that's been one of the reasons that convinced me it could work. I thought the, the fallback and the shortage, uh, the shortcoming of it would be a lack of ball runners. It, it would take away your, your Ben McCalmans or, or your Wycliffe Palus, blokes that can truck it up. But 
But Pocock was doing just as good a job as anyone has for the Wallabies this year in, in that number eight ball-carrying role. Yeah. So, Matt, then, I mean, what's your key player? Well, I mean, I've got to give an honourable mention to Matt Gitto. I thought in a really tight first half, uh, you know, he kind of, I thought, and when, you know, I guess most people would say Bernard Foley wasn't having a, a fantastic game. Uh, he, he showed a lot of, I thought, generalship and uh, just grit um, from, you know, around the centre of the field. And, you know, when everyone was backing the All Blacks to put, you know, a lot of traffic through that combination, you know, he didn't, he basically didn't let anyone pass. Um, so, you know, very honourable mention. But the guy who I thought, yet again, just showed everybody why and, and how Michael Checker picked it, I think we're all still scratching our heads. I thought Dean Mum, I thought he had a fantastic game. Um, it was like, an, you know, like a, yet like another back row, but then you didn't lose anything at set piece. Um, so, yeah, he seems to have been an inspired pick uh, to come back. Uh, and, you know, whether it was his cameo in Argentina or this kind of fuller match here, um, just, you know, just massive difference and uh, is unrecognisable from the player we saw before. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, he's, he's still, he's still not, hasn't quite got that punch in sort of the close quarters running. You know, he did get monstered mm, yeah. a couple of times. He's, he's not getting over the advantage line, and and that kind of does remind me a bit of the old Dean Mum. But you're absolutely right in terms of hitting rucks and work rate deep into the match, like the last twenty minutes. Um, really special, sensational. Yeah, um, I thought Kevin Hall was good too, actually, but yeah. he won't be the one that I'll raise. I, I'll. Stick with the forward pack as much as I'd like to give an honourable mention to um, Adam Ashley Cooper, who I think just continues to stand up in the big games. But the, the bloke I'll, I'll, I'll say is Scotty Co, who um, mm. I think was a revelation, nothing short of a revelation in, in his first start in a Bledisloe, um, big game, and, and just um, that scrum platform. I think we probably underrate how much that contributed to, to uh, the overall result and the confidence that it gave us around the field that we could go into that set piece. And unlike previous weeks, we, we didn't all wince and look away. We actually could, could uh, you know, we, we didn't, I don't think we pushed the All Blacks off any scrums necessarily, though we won a few penalties off our own ball. But uh, we just had that general dominance that I think um, probably um, washed over into the rest of the game. And uh, I think that was the most dominant, dominant performance we've seen in a while from CO and I think, it's probably secured his his spot for the for the World Cup. Um, it was a real coming of age. I mean, he's had a lot of opportunities off the bench over the last eighteen months, but he really hasn't had any opportunities to put in the sixty minutes in the starting jersey against a quality opponent. And yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. He just passed with flying colours. He was he was brilliant. Well, well I mean, let's I'll... let's talk about the, the scrum generally and, and get mm. a bit of a segue because that was my next point, Matt. I mean, the the set piece. I mean, it had to be a massive factor in the game, didn't it, the scrum? I mean, I was sitting with a couple of Kiwi journalists um, and they were just geeing me up for the hour before the game on scrums and saying, can't wait for the first scrum and here we go. And, you know, uh, but as soon as that first scrum hit and we started to get a shove on, geez, they, they shut up pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I look, I... It's, there's no re- there's the, well there's a reason why you know uh, Tony Woodcock's nickname is the Myth and you know when you've got you know kind of Wyatt Crockett I realise he wasn't on the day but when Wyatt Crockett seems to be the backup um, you've got to say that I think there's a lot about this Kiwi scrum but that is a bit of a myth I think uh, it, it seems to me that their their piece on your own ball is always to just disrupt it some way at the moment it seems to be just basically going sideways and 
walking it around the corner and, and trying to mimic some sort of scrum dominance through that. And it's worked in the past, um, you know, on, on our, in our scrums. But and I think that's the beauty of what Scotty CO gave, which he just stayed straight and true. And, you know, uh, no matter what was coming at him from sideways or whatever else, um, he just kept going forward. And that was fan- it was fantastic to see. And I think that's what we saw. I think we saw that the, the little uh, two-card trick that they're used to pulling and, and, and it working uh, didn't work this time around. And what's interesting is, you know, that's exactly what England and the Lions did to us as well. They just basically scrummed sideways. Um, but the problem was that Ben Alexander couldn't handle that. So it'll be really, really interesting to see, um, you know, what happens with this new front, with this new front row. But on, on, the, on, on Saturday, uh, they did a great job. That they did, but unfortunately, Jamie, the lineout wasn't wasn't as strong. You you raised a couple of pretty good points in your article over the weekend, um, or I think it was on maybe on Monday as to why that why that was. Um, we just didn't seem to mix it up enough with our calls. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's really easy to point the finger at Simmons being absent. It's easy to look at Skelton, but of course he didn't come off uh, come on until later. Um, but the reality is, whenever we called a one action play the line-out was under pressure or we lost the ball. And whenever we called some of the quite nifty moves that Simmons developed with a feint, you know, faking that it's going to go to one part of the line-out and then lifting someone else, the ball was clean, two-handed take, and we're off to the races. Um, I think certainly we missed Simmons, but more generally we just needed to be more ambitious in our calls. And when we were, um, we were very effective. I mean, that maul that they exercised, was straight out of the Sydney University playbook that they used to teach us when, back in the days when I played uh, alongside Dean Mum. Hi, Dean. Um, they used to teach the same mall construction to every grade from Colts right down through to uh, right up through the grades, so that when players got injured on Saturdays, they could come in and be useful in the mall. And the way they do it is is narrowness. You know, a lot of other teams will send someone in as a blocker. You know, so you've got sort of four people at the front. And it was a thing of beauty. Only three people. The next two people come in. They link arms. They go over the ball ripper. Another two people in. Um, it's very meticulous. And it was very effective. As soon as we got them all going, they infringed twice. We had two advantages. And then what do you know? Kepu puts on a bit of uh, fancy footwork and scores the try. So I think there's some potential in the line out. But it's definitely something we need to focus on. Agreed. Well, I mean... Let's let's turn now to to the All Blacks and and I suppose we've touched on it a bit already, but uh, from looking at some of the coverage in New Zealand and some of the sites I visit over there, it seems like um, one of the issues has been that the older players and and just starting to wonder if if you know uh, they might starting to be, be be on the decline and guys like Woodcock and and Dan Carter especially are, are two that have come in for a bit of criticism. I thought Matt that uh, Dan Carter was was really off his game and. A couple of kicks not going ten, and his you know boot not working as it normally does from a tee, um, and and just I've probably sapped the All Blacks of momentum at some pretty critical times. Yeah, I mean let's be let's be clear. If Dan Carter, you know, had been called, you know, his name was Quade Cooper, everyone would have been howling that he had an absolute shocker. Um, you know, missing those kicks. He you know also was taking forever over those kicks. I mean, he almost got charged down on his two conversions that he missed. Um, yeah, I, he added very very little look i mean if you think about it four years ago both of those guys were were injury crocs that they've managed to get through another four years and get themselves to the world cup is probably nothing short of a miracle but it doesn't mean that they're going to have the same sort of form so 
it's interesting to me that they I think the All Blacks, I mean, it was undoubtedly that was their A-team that they brought out last Saturday. And I think that's probably part of the, the, the mind, um, you know, the, the mind game that has backfired on them, which is that, you know, when you bring out the A-team, the A-team gets um, bitch slapped, then, you know, it's going to cause problems. And, you know, it's undoubted that those guys you mentioned, um, and I'd put McCore in there as well, um, you know, didn't have, I don't think he had a scintillating season for the, for the Crusaders and the Crusaders didn't really end up anywhere. So, I think there's a few questions in there, um, and it's yeah, it's going to be. I mean, you know, as you said, Jamie, geez, if they lose this next one on Saturday night, God knows what's going to happen. Absolutely. I mean, they've they've had this policy that they could limp through to the World Cup with a few veterans, and they're right on the cusp of that policy working. And if they lose this Saturday, I think they do look at Tony Woodcock. I think they do look at Dan Carter and think, how on earth did we get into this situation? We knew two years ago that. We had a bunch of new first fives coming through and we've we've decided to stick with Dan Carter as our number one. I mean, I think a victory this week will will drive a stake into the team management's plans over there. I, I really hope we can do it. Mm. I, I think Carter's the one under the most pressure considering how well uh, Sopoanga played in South Africa. I think that was a real sort of um, a really good performance from him and showed that he could be an alternative. Also, Bowden Barrett's in the wings. The thing about Woodcock is there's probably not a there's there's not a huge amount of, of young loose head props around New Zealand at the moment um, that are really putting their hand up. I mean, the one bloke that they'd want to get in there in some ways probably Sam Kane, but uh, you don't see them dropping any of their back rowers. Um, Jamie, you'd think for the I mean, if we started to look ahead to the upcoming test, obviously we'd expect them to come out firing, and and the one change probably see Marnonu come back for uh, for Sonny Bill Williams. Would you think? Yeah, Sonny Bill had a had a really poor game as well, actually, on the weekend. Um, and he's, he's getting torn apart a bit in, in, the, in the New Zealand press. Um, but I think, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about the personnel, but it's also important to talk about systems and game plans. And the last four years, the All Blacks have been the masters of the counterpunch. You know, their whole game plan is designed to absorb and transfer pressure, hence the box kicks, more kicks than any other team at international level. And I think that's a really effective strategy with the game, the way the game's refed against almost every international team. The problem is it's not a very effective strategy against us. You know, they want to hand the ball back to the other team. Australia wants the ball. We're about the only team in world rugby who, if we could keep the ball for 80 minutes, we would do it. Um, whereas teams like England desperately want to get rid of the ball. They're much more comfortable playing without the ball, especially under pressure. And I just think that the All Blacks' vulnerability might just really be against us rather than against other teams more generally. But come the World Cup, I guess we'll see. It's, it's been interesting. You, you talk about, I mean, a key element of that whole contestable kick when you're playing against the Wallabies is obviously, you, you know, in most cases, you're kicking it down the throat of Israel Folau. Um, and and I, what I think has been interesting, and I'm really surprised that these teams have got away with it, is both the Springboks and the All Blacks, in using that tactic, started putting kick chases underneath Falau. Um, yeah. And I, 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 it's, it, to me, it's just completely obvious um, that they're doing it. There are these guys who just clearly aren't really competing for the ball. And because Falau gets up so high, they, they realise that they can easily get underneath his legs and, and he's, and he's going to end up on his back or you know, on his neck somehow. And I'm just really surprised they've been getting away, getting away with I, that. I, I couldn't agree with you more. We've seen that maybe five or six times in the last couple of weeks where Falau will leap to take off the ball 
and the chaser will be in effect in front of where the ball's going to come down and the referee's ruled a fair contest. Firstly, it's it's incredibly dangerous. And secondly, there's a clear incentive for Falau to tank it. If he just rolls over and lands a bit funny, that's a red card. Um, it, but the referees absolutely need to look at this. It is a clear uh, tactic, and I'm totally with you on that one. Well, I mean, Matt, I suppose we, we were getting into more of it uh, looking ahead to this week. Eden Park obviously uh, been hasn't been a happy hunting ground. Uh, indeed, neither has anywhere in New Zealand, really. It's not like there's been a ground where we've, we've won any time uh, since, I think, 2002. Um, the training training paddock this week for the Wallabies looks looks to be a um, uh, pretty stable lineup. Would you say? Well, I, I don't know actually, Hugh. So, you know, the whispers I'm getting, um, which regular readers will know, have so far turned out to to look pretty good. Um, a few interesting things have been happening. Um, I think it was well publicised today actually. George Gregan um, was coaching um, with 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 the camp and um, giving some direction to Nick Phipps. Um, then I, I actually suspect that, you know, there were a couple of shockers in there and actually it was interesting. So, you know, in that period of play leading up to Nick Phipps getting yellow carded and then, um, obviously he basically got hooked straight after that. Um, it was actually his best period of play. His passing was superb and it was back to that, you know, straight from the base of the rock, um, quick passing, um, which, which, which was fantastic. Uh, just, you know, he just basically got caught up there. Um, with Conrad Smith. So um, anyway, so I, from what I'm hearing as far as run-on team at the moment, uh, it looks like uh, Phipps is still there. But I think there's probably a couple of selections that we would think, looking back at last week, you would say um, were no-brainers. Um, one would be around the pooper. And I'm not sure we're going to see the pooper. Uh, so, you know, it might be mixed up again. I mean, I, I don't know how the reserves might look at the moment. Uh, but I think, Jamie, you asked the question about why Cliff Palu. Uh, I'm hearing he's in the mix um, at eight. Uh, and then the other bit, which would really surprise me, I think most people at the moment would be saying, look, you know, it's becoming clear who's probably 10. Tamua's probably our, our, our top 10 uh, with Gitto, uh, therefore at 12 or something like that. Um, I'm wondering whether actually we're going to have a bit of a, a shock horror. And I think especially a bit of a shock because of his history of, you know, playing games in New Zealand. And I wonder if we haven't, you know, had a chance to see enough of Quade Cooper yet um, or Michael Checker hasn't and whether he's going to give him a, a last run out. Ooh. Well, there you uh, go. That, that, that'd certainly be a couple of interesting uh, changes. Uh, I suppose, let, Jamie, talk about the 5-8 position for a bit because, I mean, Bernard Foley, we haven't really touched on many of the negatives coming out of uh, last Saturday's game, but you'd certainly say the performance of Bernard Foley probably was one. And while he didn't really do anything explicitly horrible, um, you'd say he's, he's still really struggled to find his feet at international level this year. Yeah, I'm not really sure what it is. He's just re- looked really off the boil the last two months. He's, you know, a lot of people have said it, but he's he's definitely standing too deep, um, and I think that's that contributed to Phipps's bizarre performance on Saturday night. But the idea that that we're looking at going back to Quade Cooper after what we saw on Saturday, um, I am very surprised. Um, not gonna not gonna lie. Um, I don't. I don't even know what to say about that. I think the answers 
based on the performances we've seen this year, the answer that we have Tamura and Gitto at 10 and 12, regardless of the number on their back, they could have 45 and 22 for all I care. Um, it's crystal clear that those two have been the standout performers in those jerseys. What do you think? I mean, well, maybe. I mean, I'm just trying to think because I, I kind of do agree with you that I, before I would have heard, um, before I heard what Matt said, would have said that Saturday night might have been the end of Quade Cooper. You know, the last two weeks, just, you know, he just seems, after that game, seems to be so dis- so far from the squad. But, I mean, maybe my only explanation is Michael Checker has a look at what Tamur has been doing in that in that last half hour and saying, well, why spoil a good thing and let's keep him there for that last half hour and um, as opposed to trying to play him for the full 80 and and maybe erode some of that brilliance that he's been showing. And, and this could be the same for Nick White as well. I mean, could we be looking at these guys as, as actually specialist finishers and um, and seeing that that is their role going forward? I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I think you're on, onto something there, Hugh. Uh, and, and I don't think, though, we should see... I don't think we should see any of the combinations that we've seen, you know, in that 10-12 axis as anything other than experimentation and trying to work at combinations throughout this Tri-Nations. Um, and you can, you'd have to say, I, I mean, I agree with you, Jamie. I think, you know, um, you know, Matt Tamura, from whenever he's come on, he's always injected, he's always added. Um, the only thing, I guess, that, you know, like you were saying, Hugh, there is, but does that mean he has to start? Um, and whereas... I could really, you know, we, we can now see how Matt Tamua can finish a game. I'm not sure in a tight match like last Saturday, I mean, if you're going to give Quade Cooper a run, you, you wouldn't want him in that last 20 minutes, would you? Um, in a really tight game like that. So actually, that's where I could see everything folding backwards. So I don't know. Um, like I say, it's all still whispers. It's early in the week. I think things could change between now and the end. But in a way, it doesn't surprise me uh, for those two reasons that you talk about. One is that, I think he's still looking at combinations and he wants to not die wondering going into the World Cup. And two, I think we're really starting to see the emergence of some specialist finishes. And what we also know is, whereas Tamua can cover, you know, both 10 and 12, um, I don't think you could say the same about Cooper. So you, you kind of know who you want to have on the bench. Yeah, we, we definitely can't say the same about Cooper. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that performance at 12 in Argentina was uh, interesting for all the wrong reasons. No, it's true. Well, well, I mean, let's let's go into predictions now. I mean, um, Jamie, we'll start with you. Uh, for all all of our sort of bullish bullishness over what what happened and last week and our and our confidence in how the team's progressing, it's still a, a massive ask to go over and win at Eden Park. I mean, do, do you, are you tipping uh, Australia at all, or, or do you think the All Blacks will do it? Honestly, before Matt just uh, was talking about some of the team suggestions that we might see this week, I was feeling substantially more confident. Um, you know, I think the, with the, the team and the style and the systems we played on Saturday night, I think we're a chance and I think I'd tip us by less than three. Um, but I think if we if we go back to more experimentation, I just I just can't quite see it and I probably think the All Blacks win. Okay, Matt, what, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think Jamie makes some good points. Um, you know, we'll see. Let's see what the team looks like uh, later on in the week. Yeah. Um, but, you know, look, taking a step back, um, I've got a, you know, I have a different feeling about this than I've, than I've had for a while. I think, you know, for the last few times, whenever we had that draw, was it a draw last week 
last year. Um, and then uh, we were going across. I think I don't think any of us seriously thought that we could really pull it off. I think it was a bit of a hit and hope. I just, you know, I, I do feel it's a little bit different here this time around for all the reasons we've talked about. Um, I, I don't think that makes us the favourites. You've got to say the favourite, your favourites are the All Blacks at home. Um, but you know, I, I don't think it's. I mean, apparently, uh, Checker said today, well, look, you know, we, we drew last week year, and you know, they put Fiddy on us. Um, you know, the, the week later. So I, I think he's not taking it lightly at all. Um, but I, I think we're in there with a, a really good shot. Probably, you know, probably all blacks by a handful if, you, you know, if you're a betting man on the probabilities. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd probably have to agree with that. You, you, I'm tipping the all blacks in New Zealand every time. Um, and certainly we've been, as you say, Matt, we've been here and we've been burnt before. So as a Wallaby fan, I've still got my guard up. I, I'm still, you know, not ready to throw my full weight behind, you know, um, or any money or any any of my, you know, my uh, incredible reputation on this podcast <laughs> and on this site uh, behind tipping tipping the Wallabies. You do uh, have a good tipping reputation yet. this year, Hugh. So, yeah. I do, yeah. Key <laughs> listeners will know that, yeah. Um, I did podium. I podiumed in, in, the, uh, in, in the Super Rugby tipping comp. But, uh, I mean... One last question before we probably throw, you know, we, we move on to other things. But, um, Matt, I mean, this confidence, the, the different feeling in Australian rugby, I mean, and acknowledging that the three of us here are Waratahs fans and, and Reg, I'd be interested to, you know, might say something different. But do you think Michael Checker's sort of given it a different feel and his coaching has really started to, you know, start? it's really started to take hold? Well, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, so, well... I think we all would have said, like, over even over these podcasts, we're sort of like, well, it was a last gasp win against the South Africans, and then it was a, um, uh, you know, it was it was a convincing in the end win against the Argentinians, but there was those periods there, and then we had this last weekend, which was just so good. But each one of them has just, you know, continued to build on the on the on the last one, and you've got to say this season was the first season he had any run with this team, and I know they'd done a lot of preparation. Um, you know, mental, physical, and, and the rest. And you've got to say we're now seeing the mark of of a checker team. Um, I actually think that this year it, it's perfect timing for a checker team. Um, you know, I think he, you know, he already had a lot into the Waratah members of the team anyway. Uh, and I think you know he's put a lot of work into getting the others on board. Um, what'll be interesting will be especially if we have some level of success at the World Cup, is how he replicates it in year two um, and, and, and on from that. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think it's, uh, you know, I don't think it's just a false dawn. I think things have moved on a bit. But having said that, you know, we were a Tavita, you know, Tavita Kurandrani blade of grass from this looking very different only a, only a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, Jamie, yeah, do you, yeah, do you, agree, do you agree with that? I do. I do agree with that. I think... You know, you could tell in the atmosphere after the Super Rugby final last year that the rugby public was desperate for a turnaround, and now we've got the results to actually put on, you know, to give people some hope, and that's a good thing. I guess the key is that the winning is a habit, and confidence does beget confidence, and if we do go to Eden Park this week and play Quade Cooper and Wycliffe Palu, um, and I imagine that means one of the pooper on the bench, and we lose by 20, 30 points... That'll be the first struggle for Checker. That will be hard to justify. There will be reasonable arguments that he experimented with the Bledisloe Cup, um, and that will be bad. Um, but 
that said, as you said, Hugh, we're all Waratahs fans here, and that's appropriate. I mean, if Reg were here as a Queenslander, he doesn't have much experience with winning recently. So, um, <laughs> you know, we are the we are the resident experts in this area, and we are checker devotees. So, I mean, I've, I've got to say, you were there as well, uh, Hugh. But I mean, there was a different feeling in the crowd uh, on on Saturday. Hard to put your finger on what that was, um, but. Uh, I thought, you know, it was great having the gold mine there, which seems to be coming into its own. I think it's genius that they've put uh, Waratah Jesus um, uh, at, the, at the head of that. But, uh, you know, I don't know, the whole um, crowd just seemed to have a different feel about it. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the consensus from a lot of my friends and people I know that were out there was, you know, the first half was a bit quiet, but the crowd really found their voice in that second period. Um, and, yeah, the, the the feeling walking out of the stadium was 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 really positive and and um I think yeah really augurs well that that good feelings is back in there especially you know in light of what's happened in say the Ashes and across a few other sports this year um but uh, let's let's draw a line under that there and uh, yeah, obviously let's, let's not talk about the cricket in any way <laughs> yeah I think yeah. that's a very good note that's, to change that's the not subject a segue. Yeah. Um, what is cricket I don't know what cricket is <laughs> <laughs> let's let's quickly focus on the other um. Rugby Championship game of the weekend because I think this is a really interesting one um, that has some ramifications as well. Uh, Jamie uh, in the Argentina knocking off South Africa, uh, 37-25 in Durban. I mean, to to beat the South Africans and that wasn't a second string South African team uh, to to beat them comfortably at home. I mean, I don't think any team's done that you know, for for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. It was 37-25 with a late try to the South Africans. So they were handsomely beaten, really comprehensively beaten. Um, and, yeah, anyone who's saying that these rugby championship matches are warm-ups only needed to look at Anika Mayer at the press conference afterwards. Uh, you know, for Argentina, they were just completely dominant in the scrum. Uh, Marcus Ayurza just unleashed a torrent of power on everything that was in his path all day long. Uh, and they just built from that. And then they used the ball creatively or at least persistently. And they were good at the ruck. I mean, Argentina looked completely unrecognizable from what we've seen in the first couple of rounds of this tournament, where I thought they were pretty disappointing, to be honest. But for the Springboks, the complete opposite. I mean, so many unforced errors, no structure or shape whatsoever. I mean, there's got to be major questions about what they're trying to do on the field and who they can do it. And they have, you know, one more game before they pick their Rugby World Cup squad. I mean, they are in crisis. They're in crisis. Um, they're a good team. They've got great personnel. They've got a number of people coming back from injury. But they've got huge question marks over a number of people who the coach has really been backing for the last 12 months. It's uh, It's a real... It's a real pit that they've dug themselves into. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be fascinating. And, and of course, now they've lost John de Villiers um, for another sort of four to six weeks with a broken jaw. Uh, he can't seem to catch a break. And they've you know, got um, question marks over Dwayne Vermeulen and a few other key players as well. Um, so you never rule out the Springboks at a World Cup, but you've got to say it's, it's, it's looking pretty shaky for them um, at the moment. So it's going to be interesting to see going forward and sticking with International Rugby Ireland um, moved up to number number two in the world, believe it or not. Ireland, number two in the world after beating <laughs> Wales at home. Uh, and, you know, going into a World Cup where they're in the same pool as France, 
But if, if and if they can get up over the frogs, they've got a pretty easy draw. And you know, obviously the Irish at a World Cup, pretty guaranteed to choke in the quarters. But this time you never know. Um, you know, they could make their first ever semi final of a Rugby World Cup, and then who knows? I mean, it seems like their confidence is an all time high. Matt, um, do you expect big things from the Irish? Uh, don't try and suck me into your vortex <laughs> <laughs> with Irish rugby supporters. Um, look, yeah, I, I must admit I've seen absolutely bugger all of um, any Northern Hemisphere rugby, you know, over the last season or so. All I well, there's heard a good, there's a good reason for that. <laughs> yeah, like I've got paint to watch dry, things like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I haven't seen a lot of what the Irish were doing. I mean, they've been getting impressive results. They seem to be going, um, seem to be you know consolidating uh, under Joe Smith. So yeah, who knows? But you know, maybe they could get there. Um, I don't know. I, I I tend to think that's all going to get kind of blown away by some of the bigger teams uh, when it gets to the pointy end time. Yeah, this is why I, mean, you... I think yeah. I, I think Ireland are a very cannily coached teams. They've got limited personnel and there are limited things they can do on the field and their game plan is built entirely upon those things. Um, but there's only a plan A. It's a very good plan A, but there's only a plan A. And I just think against teams like New Zealand, they just won't be able to put it together and won't be able to respond to the different stuff that New Zealand is going to ask them to do. Mm. And won't that be a, you know, a, a game at the World Cup if they have to get up over New Zealand for the first time, you know, um, and do it in a World Cup? Um, yeah, uh, not going to happen, guys. Not going to happen. And what, what, uh, <laughs> what was the, what was the um, score, by the way, with the Irish Welsh game? Did either of you guys see what it was? Um, come on, Matt, you know these type of things in this podcast. We, we're we so obsessed with Australian rugby that we barely can even glance at well, a website. I, I just want to say from some of the comments... The score. I just want to say some of the comments I picked up around the place, but it sounds like Wales had a bit of a shocker. Yeah, yeah. I, think it was, I think it was 35 to 21 with a late try to Wales to make that a bit closer, but Wales right. had a, a total B team out and looked awful from all accounts. It was okay. 35 to 21, uh, just to confirm. Well, I just uh, want to say... That's kind of important for us because um, as I was talking to Bob Dwyer last weekend, we were putting his article together and uh, he, you know, his point was Fiji is going to beat someone in that group. Let's just hope it's not us. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bob's, Bob's got opinions. He's got opinions. Well, and on that note, Fiji winning the Pacific Nations Cup as well over the weekend with a win over Samoa. So they're, again, going to be uh, formidable opponents and they did that without uh, Namani Nadolo. So are certainly not ones to write off in our pool as well. Um, also on the international rugby front, Sam Burgess getting his first cap for England this week uh, is going to be uh, another interesting one here and seeing if that picks up a bit of coverage with the leagues over here. He seems to be struggling to find his place, but uh, he's been given a chance to show his wares this weekend. So that will is be interesting playing? to see is how that um, Once again, Matt, I demand... Yeah, no, you should not be asking me further questions on these things. Yeah, he's, he spent the whole of his first year, or at least 90% of it, playing in the back row, and then England have picked him at 12. So uh, <laughs> good good to see they're giving him every chance to, for success. Well, it shows you what England expect out of their 12s anyway. <laughs> it does, it does. Um, but, yeah. um, and so we'll keep going on the international rugby because there's a lot happening around. We've got the World 15 um, playing Japan this week, and... Wouldn't you know the World 15? A lot of lot of Australian players in this World 15, and a lot of second string Australian players. So not sure who's um, been uh, in charge of selections there, but it saw 
uh, Sean McMahon um, released from the Wallabies uh, squad this week. Um, and Samu Karevi come in as well uh, as Christian Lee Alifano leaving the squad to go and play in that game. So um, Samu gets a run with the squad this week. Um, and a lot of the Australian sort of um, super rugby players, guys like Ben Robinson and Tolu Latu are going over to play in that game. Well, I think it's it a looks, great idea. I think it is a good idea. and um, But I, I will say I, I was a bit optimistic when I heard earlier in the week that Henry Spate was about the only person who didn't play on Saturday night who wasn't going to Japan for the match. I think we need Henry. I think, you know, it's been so unfortunate that he hasn't gotten any real opportunities, um, not just this year but last year and with the all that brouhaha about whether he's eligible or not. He's just a bit special out there on the wing. He's a decent defender. Uh, he loves. He's good in contact. He's good in space. He's got good pace. He's got great feet. Uh, if you think I'm I'm developing a romantic attachment to him, you're, you're probably right. But I I just can't believe that we're going to go to a World Cup and and not have even seen him. Yeah, well, you know, Jamie, do we see him in the goals? Would it raise your confidence for this Saturday if you were to hear that he might be he's, that he's in the mix? It would make me feel a lot better. It would. Okay. Well, you can have the rest of your day because I know it's your morning, so you can have the rest of your day with that thought. Oh, thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, well, moving on again, and we'll go into the world of Super Rugby, where not a huge amount's happening at the moment. Although Zach Guilford looks to have pulled out of his deal with the Waratahs, according to the Daily Telly here, which probably means he's got a better offer from New Zealand. I don't think there'll be too many tears shed in uh, Sydney about that uh, news from certainly from the rugby community, because a bit of a loose cannon, and there are plenty of good young wingers. Uh, around, which brings me on to my next point of, of club rugby finals. Speaking of good young wingers, and the South Magpies um, claimed their first Premier Rugby title since the year 2000, so first for 15 years by beating East um, at Ballymore on the weekend. So well done to the South Magpies. Um, and uh, Chris Fauia Sautia picked up the Tony Shaw medal um, for the uh, best and fairest in the finals. So well done. To him, and uh, moving forward into the NRC, it, it really augurs well for Brisbane City's title defence because uh, the bulk of those players from that final are going to be featuring for them. And, and um, moving on to the NRC, it seems like more and more of the, all of the squads have been announced now, and, and we're really uh, gearing up uh, for that. Uh, we've got the Sydney Shoot Shield final this week to be played, and then and then we're into it uh, in earnest. So we've got Manly and Eastwood playing at uh, TG Milner Field. Um, and that's going to be an absolute cracker, Manly getting up over Sydney Uni uh, in, in a big game with uh, Wycliffe Parley scoring a length of the field try, which is one worth looking up if you can find it. Um, and uh, Eastwood coming back from uh, a 21-0 deficit to, to get up over Souths, uh, 31-28. So uh, the two most outstanding teams all year, Eastwood and, and Manly, and, and uh, only fitting that they'll be uh, fighting out for that uh, shoot shield this Saturday. So... I encourage everyone to get out there to your local um, club. Obviously, in Brisbane, there's uh, probably some subbies going on or something you can find. Um, and in Sydney, obviously, that shoot shield. And it, wherever you are, um, obviously, get out and support your local grassroots clubs. Um, yeah. Matt I mean, and Jamie, I, um, anything to add? Well, I was just going to say about that is like I managed to I caught some of the some of these finals on the shoot shield um, over the last few weeks. I couldn't this weekend because uh, I was moving house and um, trying to. Um, 
earn brownie points so I could go to the to the Bledisloe um, on Saturday night. But uh, you know, watching some of that, it's been some great footy, and uh, the coverage on Seven Twos is is really good. So for you know, I guess people in New South Wales at least, um, if you get the chance, you know, tune in. I mean, it's it's good stuff. Yeah, and uh, obviously, it'd be interesting to see if any of the test. I mean. Uh, players are released. Uh, obviously, some of those going over to play in the World 15, a guy like uh, Ben Robinson would have probably featured in the Shoot Shield final, but uh, uh, obviously not to be. And a lot of the uh, guys that you'll be seeing in the NRC uh, will be also uh, in that game too. So, again, I suppose we, we start to turn our focus to, to the NRC again and, and look forward to another uh, big year while the uh, World Cup's on as well. So it's going to be an absolute feast of rugby uh, coming at you over the next couple of months. And uh, Green and Gold Rugby is going to have it all covered, absolutely everything. So uh, you've only only need really one place to be, unless of course you need any information from Norm, Northern Hemisphere rugby, because um, <laughs> we really have none of that. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so you might just have to help you, help yourself out there. But um, anyway, um, well, uh, pretty good podcast, guys. Um, yeah, well, well done. We, we've got through. If we, if we if we don't mind saying so ourselves. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's been good. It's a good one. Oh, I mean, like I say, what a great makes it easy. Makes it easier to talk about the podcast. I, I noticed we had, plenty, we had plenty of volunteers this week. <laughs> yeah, they all buddy came out of the woodwork this week, didn't they? I mean, uh, yeah. I, I, I put up my hand about two weeks ago. I feel I was the mascot. You know, I could I could sniff it in the air. <laughs> <laughs> no, and yeah, to to your credit, Jamie, I think the the policy of you you, you write an insightful article, you get. A spot on the podcast. I think that's a that's a policy we can employ. So, I mean, we'd risk many weeks of having no one on the podcast um, <laughs> if we employ that policy. But yeah, we, uh, yeah. Nonetheless, let's we'll, we'll, we'll keep trying that one. Yeah. Okay. Matt, I imagine I imagine you have better figures on this, but it looks to me like there's just an explosion of interest on the pages and in the forums. Is that reflected in the data you've got? Well, yeah. actually, it's funny you should say that because uh, Sunday was the most popular day in green and gold rugby's history. Um, you should you should mention that. That's a great fact. Yes. Well, I just luckily I just did. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, no, it was uh, yeah, our biggest day ever. Um, so I think uh, yeah, I, I I you know, I could I could tell you what the numbers were, then I'd have to kill you. Um, but you know, we we're, we're, we're well past um, the last uh, like last couple any blips that we had related to any other World Cup or anything else. So um, yeah, no, it's 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 powering on. Um, a lot more interest uh, coming through. So and I just I can't imagine. I think we're gonna have to buy another server if uh, if we do something this weekend. Well, you just bought another house, Matt. So I mean, I suppose we know where it all ends up <laughs> in the end. So that's all. Uh, and uh, on that note, uh, I think we'll probably sign off from uh, the podcast. Let's hope that the one next week is a, a similarly positive one, and we can. Uh, Look forward to the World Cup. So uh, thank, thanks, guys, for, for another great effort. Good one, mate. See ya. Thanks, you.